Welcome to episode 54 of the Accessibility Craft Podcast, where we explore the art of creating accessible websites while trying out interesting craft beverages. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Equalize Digital, a WordPress accessibility company and the proud creators of the Accessibility Checker plugin. In this episode, we talk about cowboy coding, how we define it, when and why it might occur, and its potential impact on accessibility. For show notes and a full transcript, go to accessibilitycraft.com slash 054. And now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. It's Amber, and I'm here today with Chris. Hello, everybody. And Steve. Hello, everyone. And we are going to be talking about cowboy coding. But first, we have to have a cowboy beer. Tell us about this. All right, y'all. We've got uh, Family Business Beer Co. um, And it's their Cosmic Cowboy American IPA. This is lovingly brewed here in Texas. Promises to have a citrus, citrusy and bold flavor. And they claim it's a modern classic. So we'll we'll see what happens here. Yeah. Um, I have never had anything from Family Business Beer Co. before. Um, basically, I went into a, a place here in Georgetown Um and I was like, what's good and what's local? And this was like the fifth one they listed because I was like, had that. And then they recommend another one, had that. And then they recommend another one. Uh, and we just moved through. But it's uh, Dripping Springs, Texas. So. so I will say of all the like labels that we've had recently, this one is probably the least exciting. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be like a belt book. Uh, or yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's hops. You can see the hops at the bottom. Yeah, the, uh... it's just like a, a an oval with a family business beer co large in the middle. Around mm-hmm. beer, your family. It says yeah with the hops around it, but it's kind of it's kind of a boring can. Like sometimes we drink stuff that like it, you know it would jump out at you on the shelf. I don't yeah, yeah. feel like this would really jump out at anyone. This stuff. No, but I mean, it's like, you know, it's like that. What do you call the green that like puke green <laughs> and <laughs> and gold and this black? This is how Steve I mean, it, feels about beer, everyone. No, 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 no. It's all right. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it has the opposite effect. Maybe the, the unassu- lime. It's a lime color, isn't it? Uh, that's puke green, right? It's no. it's it's a little <laughs> a little muddier than lime. <laughs> well. Okay, you don't have to be a graphic designer or a package designer to make good food or right. beverage products, right? So right. maybe they just aren't graphic. Although designers. it might help more people buy them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and we're also we're also coming down from uh, paperback capiche, which has some of the best labeling game in the yeah, business. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. All right so, shall we crack these open? Yeah, figure out right. how it tastes. Here we go. Uh, Amber, we forgot something. What? Our pint glasses. Oh, so sad. Oh, well, oh. well we're going to have to we'll do, have it to do that time. next time. Oh, man, it hits you. The, yeah, the, I can ooh. smell it. 
Yeah. That's like, like instantly grapefruit. I yeah. smell grapefruit. Let me say, I'm, I'm holding this like 13 inches away from me and I could really smell it the second I opened it. And not in a bad way. Like, I don't think it smells bad. It is yeah. actually really grapefruity smelling. Yeah, mm-hmm. big time. I mean, I it, instantly when I popped it open. Grapefruit, pine needles, a little bit. That's definitely hopped. It's going to be, this is going to be bitter as hell, y'all. Prepare <laughs> so you, yourselves. <laughs> you've written in our show notes, pineapple, and, and I kind of do get a pineapple. A yeah, 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 pineapple, yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. All right. Chris tried it already. What do you think? It's bitter. It'll wake you up. <laughs> it will. Yeah. It's I mean, like it's caffeine an, it's for an, the palate. It's an yeah, IPA. It's like, yeah, this is like this is like textbook IPA to me. You know, like hits you real mm-hmm. hard. We've had yeah. some IPAs that weren't so IPA e. Is that right? Like, yeah. <laughs> but this one's this one's bitter. Mm-hmm. This one's really sharp, really bitter. Um, I don't know if it's, I. It's one one punchy note of of hops. Um, I'm gonna think about this one a little more. There's there's a disconnect between the smell and the taste for me. Like it, like I was almost expecting something sweeter based on the smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not a it's not a particularly fruity IPA because IPAs can taste fruity. This one is way more like <laughs> herbaceous and kind of astringent um, versus you know being really tropical. You know what it tastes like? It tastes like the grapefruit pit. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right? I can see the, that. the white part of the peel. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's kind of what I think it might taste like a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it. I feel like it makes me a, a little bit sad because it, it, like, when I smell it, it is it doesn't follow through in the flavor with what I expect it to be. When it, like, I I really like the way it smells a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm not. Mm, that's a little Does it die off? Is it dying off? Like the smell? Like I mm. maybe it's like that initial buildup in the can when you open it. Yeah, maybe. Or you just got used to it. I don't or know. maybe the yeah, maybe, is it, maybe the bitterness is <laughs> I mean, contact with air will change the character of beer and wine. Um, like as it as it oxidizes or aerates. Um it's a real thing. So I, I would be I would be interested to try more of this brewery's beers though. Like maybe some of the non IPAs, like this was the one that was available on the shelf. And I was like, dang it, it's an IPA, you know, I'm going to get it anyway, because I don't have any time to go like to three other stores and find something cool. So I just grabbed the IPA. I know none of us like super like them. Um, but I like trying beers from breweries I've never tried before. I think, I think it's fun and interesting. Right. I, I what I will say, say is, like, like, first taste, like, this tastes like a brewer who knows what they're doing. I'll, I'll at least say that. Like, they're, like, it's it's solid, like, yeah, in yeah. terms of. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's bad at all. It's just not, I'm not an IPA person, but I actually think that if you like IPAs, I think you would really like this beer, and I would say go try it. I am, mm-hmm. I am still a little sad about their can. <laughs> also, I, let's be real. It's not just a cowboy beer. It's Cosmic Cowboy. Cosmic Cowboy. What does that mean? I don't know, but shouldn't the can (laughs) at least be like 
dark blue or purple with stars splattered on it. It was oh, cosmic. Yeah. Like I want I want um paperback brewing to do their can illustration for cosmic cowboy. I want to see that art. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be a cowboy riding a rocket ship through outer space. Yeah, with and with like a cosmonaut helmet on or something. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. he has to have a cowboy hat. Has to have a cowboy hat. Okay. Now, do we do we know? I don't know why it's called cosmic cowboy. Like, do cowboys did cowboys drink IPAs? Would that be the kind of beers that you would get out in the West when you were going to a saloon? Or in Texas? <laughs> or in Texas? I don't know. I feel like cowboy territory is like light beer or really strong whiskey. I feel like those are the those are the two, um, yeah, yeah, things that I associate with it. Um, yeah, I mean, probably in the 1800s when there were actually real cowboys and not the big ones that we have now. <laughs> the beer probably was not super strong. I bet it was more watery because people. I mean, people drank beer. <laughs> All the time, right? Like they drank beer, they drank alcoholic beverages and way back when to avoid getting, you know, like dysentery and stuff because yeah, the bacteria clean. couldn't grow. That was yeah. probably the problem with the Oregon Trail was that there were no saloons yet and people had to drink <laughs> the water. <laughs> so many yeah. people didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Or at least that's my perception of it from playing Oregon Trail in first grade on a green screen computer. But the al- the alcohol content in older beers like that was a lot less, I think, than newer stuff. Yeah, it was like two percent, three percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we have advanced technology they, now, right? Yeah, that's why they give it to their kids for breakfast. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes them chill out, I guess. <laughs> Maybe so. So this one is a seven percent. I I think it's pretty good. I I would definitely say if you like IPAs, go try it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of a chore to like keep taking drinks, <laughs> you know. Like I'm like, ah, uh, do I really? Uh, oh, see, it's growing on me. I like yeah. it more the more I drink it. <laughs> this seems like a beer like that you want to get down quick because if it gets warm, it's gonna be real nasty. <laughs> oh yeah, it definitely has to be really cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we could have been smart and put our accessibility craft pint glasses in the freezer first. Yeah, yeah. Man. Frosty glass. Yeah. Right, I need. So, I, I need to order one of those. How how do we order a accessibility craft pint glass? You can order one if you go to shop.equalizedigital.com, and they have our alligator on them, Ooh. which is super fun. There's also t-shirts. I had a t-shirt which I'm not wearing today. It would have been smart if I wore it for recording the <laughs> podcast, but it came and I was excited, so I wore it for a WordPress accessibility meetup yesterday so did you get any comments uh yeah a few but i also like showed it to everyone so people were probably like eh. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i was excited that's like fun. Dork. so <laughs> so you know i have to figure out what are we going to talk about in advance of these and i saw that chris had gotten cowboy beer and i was like let's talk about cowboy code <laughs> yeehaw <laughs> uh, <laughs> So for anyone who doesn't know, Steve, you want to explain what cowboy coding is? I mean, I think it has a lot of definitions, um, but it, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, we have the Wikipedia. We can read a couple, you know, uh, yeah. accurate definitions, right? So the Wikipedia definition is cowboy coding is software development where programmers have the autonomy 
over the development process. This includes control over the project schedule, languages, algorithm, tools, framework, and coding style. Typically, little to no uh, coordination exists with their other developers or stakeholders. So that's a pretty, I mean, it goes on, but that's a pretty uh, so formal description. I pulled it up on ChatGPT, and I kind of like ChatGPTs a little bit better. Yeah, uh, what does that say? It says, cowboy coding refers to the practice in software development where programmers write code according to their own rules without following any predefined plan or architecture often disregarding standards, development procedures, and best practice. So here's something yeah. that's interesting. You know what neither of those said? That it's working on a production website. Yeah. It sounds like you could be doing it in staging, and if you're not following other best practices, it would still be cowboy coding by those definitions. But I always thought of cowboy coding as, I mean, how I started out. <laughs> which was I went into WordPress and I went to the theme file editor and I would just <laughs> open it right there in WordPress and uh, copy and paste my stuff in. Yeah, yeah. From I some mean, tutorial I found, right? That, you know, that's the crime, right? Like, what, what, what I just read, I think is the law, right? It's like going on production and doing it there is the crime, right? But, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's other ways to to cowboy code not necessarily on production right depending on how your workflow is set up right i like the the chat dbt description because it talks about you know somebody just disregarding procedures and standards and stuff and that's kind of what working on production is right yeah i mean there's there's a lot of ways you could set up your wordpress environment to be more con conducive to cowboy coding <laughs> Why somebody would do that, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like there there are there are probably tools that you can use to check, you know, they have the plugin check plugin now where you could actually check your coding styles within in the in there, although it would have to be in a plugin. Never mind. Couldn't do that on the theme. But you know what I mean? Like there's I mean, people might cowboy code plugins too. They have <laughs> well, a plugin uh, file editor. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen it. We've seen it all. But yeah. Well, I think cowboy coding, like with that definition, is an apt comparison or an apt uh, definition because if you think about the, in the context of what cowboys were and are, you're you're out there, you're by yourself with limited resources and no oversight, and you have to uh, come up with a solution quickly that doesn't necessarily depend on other systems or other people because the work you're doing is often invisible or in a vacuum, um, at least in the context of having other team members. Yeah, I don't know that that, you know, like in the context of like doing uh, like work that would be acceptable in the context of like modern business. Yeah, I can get I get why cowboy coding is frowned upon. But I don't know. Do you think that there is there is never an instance where it should be done um, or like when what is the line? When is it acceptable? When is it not? This episode of Accessibility Craft is sponsored by Equalize Digital Accessibility Checker, the WordPress plugin that helps you find accessibility problems before you hit publish. A WordPress native tool, Accessibility Checker provides reports directly on the post-edit screen. Reports are comprehensive enough for an accessibility professional or developer, but easy enough for a content creator to understand. 
Accessibility Checker is an ideal tool to audit existing WordPress websites, find accessibility problems during new builds, or monitor accessibility and remind content creators of accessibility best practices on an ongoing basis. Scans run on your server, so there are no per-page fees or external API connections. GDPR and privacy compliant, real-time accessibility scanning. Scan unlimited posts and pages with Accessibility Checker free. Upgrade to a paid version of Accessibility Checker to scan custom post types and password-protected sites. View site-wide open issue reports and more. Download Accessibility Checker free today at equalizedigital.com forward slash accessibility dash checker. Use coupon code ACCESSIBILITYCRAFT to save 10% on any paid plan. Oh, geez. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a CTO, right? And I'm trying to get to the point where it's like never acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and that's because when you have a team that you have to have some standards that everybody is upholding to, right? Because when steps in that that workflow are disobeyed or not followed, we know where to blame, right? Like we know what went wrong and how to correct, right? I think when you're when you're trying to maneuver a development team to all kind of work in the same way in the same fashion, not saying that the way that way is the perfect way and that it can't be modified. It's just that we have a process that if something fails, we can either look at it, was that a failure on the developer or a failure in the process? And if it was a failure in the process, we can modify the process. So like, mm -hmm. I think at I think at scale, an agency at scale or a, a piece of software at scale, you have to have some process, right? And the like within our organization, right? We are, we're, we are moving a lot, right? We're just shifting between website projects and plugin projects, right? And, and the more things you could put in the way of preventing errors, the better, right? Now, that being said, I saw Amber like a couple of weeks ago when she came up with this idea, she posted on Twitter about it, you know, and we got a few comments back and forth. And some people were like, well, you need to know where the line is, right? And, or like, uh, it's okay to, you know, like, there was a little bit both ways, right? But yeah, so Derek Asher, um, yeah. who has a couple of different plugins, and he also does work for clients. He says, I have no problems cowboy coding a client site to make a small template or CSS change. Taking an hour to make the change by doing backup, staging, et cetera, is a waste of everyone's time and money. I mean, technically, if you're getting paid for that hour, it's not a waste of your time. Yeah. It's maybe a waste of your client's money, maybe. Yeah, but like know. the potential, like I know there's a, a there's a case for everything, right? Depending on what the website is, what the website does, right? But I mean, we could say if that client website is a WooCommerce website that generates a thousand dollars of revenue per hour, right? What happens if you cowboy code and take it down for four hours, and they lost four thousand dollars of revenue? Like who who's responsible for that? Yeah, you know, like. It, and and two, um, if you're going to cowboy code that, right? Are are you saying that there's not a a GitHub repository of that code as well? Like, are, is there no version controlling? Like, like so, if you were to cowboy code, and and quite frankly, we're going to talk about a little bit of our own experience in this regard. But like, 
if you're going to cowboy code it, you're still going to need to submit it to a repository at some point in time so that it's version controlled, right? Like, unless you're just not version controlling. Yeah, I mean, on small websites, it's possible there is none. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's even talk about, we talked about our shop.equalize. You know, I, I built that. We have a different episode that we can link to if people want to hear more about, you know, how I built that and why, which was mostly to test what the state of accessibility in commerce was. But it doesn't have anything version controlled. Now, granted, I didn't really write any code for that site. I did, yeah. though, use the customizer to put some CSS in to fix like focus outlines and um, hover states on a few things. So I made some accessibility fixes with CSS and I did it in the customizer. So there's no version controlling. And it's almost like something small like that. And it's maybe like 10, you know, I don't know. Well, that might be like 30 lines or whatever, yeah. but it's not a lot, right? It's it's very small number of CSS fixes. And, and it is a good point. Like what Derek said, like, me having to go like set up a child theme and like do all this stuff would have been a much bigger thing. But I think what's hard about that is that in some instances, it's like, okay, it makes sense to just do a little bit here. But if you come back a month later and you do a little more and then you do a little more, all of a sudden you have. Yeah. And I will totally take blame for this. Our my.equalize site. I did a, but it uses our main site scheme, but there was a bunch of stuff that needed to be done. And we were like busy. You were working on the plugin. One of our other developers was building one of our clients. So I was like, I'll just do it. And I didn't do it the right way. Now I want to say it's got like 600 lines of CSS. Yeah. Which is so hard to troubleshoot then if you're like, well, why is this happening? And then somebody has to remember, oh, it's because Amber wrote a bunch of crap in the customizer. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, overriding the code yeah. I'm trying to push in the feed. <laughs> right. Too. Like, if you bring a developer in to like work on your site and they, and they start modifying the CSS file and they're like, why can't I get these styles to like work? Or like, what's overriding these? And, you know, yeah. and it's, it's another like, it's another CSS entry point. The, the customizer does do a little bit of code checking for you. Like, Oh, if there's an error, yeah. Yeah, if there's an error, it, it does do a little bit, but like, uh, but I will say too, like, Amber will do that from time to time, put something in the customizer, and then she goes to GitHub and opens an issue and says, <laughs> "Take what I migrate these customizer styles into the theme," you know. And then we we've got the like uh, on the development side, we, we take the and that's like straight CSS, and most of our stuff is all SAS, right? So we have to take that and then I pull. think you can write SAS in the customizer now. Oh, can you? Well, I'm saying what we a lot of times what we have to do when that happens is we have to take what you've done and what we've done and collate it together, right? Mm -hmm. so instead of like just opening up our SAS file and throwing in what you have, we actually go through it line by line, or at least I do, <laughs> <laughs> line by line and make sure that I'm collating it into existing styles if needed. But yeah. But I mean, there's something to be said about you know, websites that didn't require a custom theme development, right? Like that mm -hmm. uh, are built on a page builder, right? And yeah, or even if um, it's like built with one person, right? Like he's a solo person who works on one website. And I, I think um, 
I think it gets a little easier, like first what you were talking about, when you have a lot of people that's working on something, the version control becomes a lot more important. And and yeah, adding CSS in the customizer, that might make things look wonky, but it's not going to take down a site. We can post a link in the show notes to my first ever post on um, WordPress.org support for yeah, yeah. actually two. If you go look at my history, the first two in a row where I was literally editing like functions.php and I got a parse error that took down the back end and I didn't even know. So this is it says 13 years one month ago. <laughs> yeah, I like I like it. It's like uh, Amber described, she's like, I was editing a theme, you know, the functions PHP file and it went down. I got this air and she puts out, puts out the air. And, and then she says, the website's this. And then she responds right away. Never mind. Fixed in cPanel. <laughs> like, <laughs> I also continue to cowboy code, but then I figured out that, so I, I was like, this is the beginning when I was just trying to figure it out. This is my first client. who's actually one of my really good friends for her website. But she was paying me money to work on her website. And I think she was on it when I did it. And she like called me and she's like, my website is down. And I was like, I know I broke it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like frantically trying to figure out. And then I Googled. And that's when I fit, figured out that there was a file editor in cPanel. So I could edit there and you know, wouldn't lose access if I took the website. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to to, <laughs> yeah. to that, like what I would add to that is like... Uh, like I'm much more comfortable doing a live change, like like a a cowboy code per se, because I know if I break it, I can fix it, right? But mm -hmm. like uh, a lot of people, like you know, Amber's like, well, should I just do it live? I'm like, well, do you want to spend the weekend, you know, fixing the site if you take it down? You know, it's like, like or or you'd have to, you know hit me up over the, you know, at night or something to, to help you get something back up. But I think if, if you're really technical and like you can take it down and get it back up pretty quick, if you know what you're doing. Right. I just want to say for the record here, <laughs> I have not broken a website at all recently. And recently. Met Steve in the middle of the. <laughs> Define recently. I'm joking. Right. I cannot okay. remember the last time I literally broke a website and you had to fix it. I I don't yeah, know yeah. if that's ever happened, actually. No, no, no. I no, think no. I got all the I'd break websites out of my system well before you joined our team. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know where the line is. And like there yeah, are some yeah. things I do and some things I don't do. Right. And <laughs> yeah, and there's like there's fail. There's some fail safes that you could practice if if cowboy coding is something that you're going to practice, right? Like back up the site first, right? Like, <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. that way you have a restore point if you break something, right? But uh, well, and I, I think too that one thing that hasn't been brought up yet is that is there are there are like individual freelancers out there and even possibly agencies. Um, not that I'm going to name names that cut these kind of things out of their processes to save time and save money to justify charge, you know, maximize their margin on way lower website rates, right? You have organizations out there that'll sell you a website for 250 bucks, 500 bucks, right? Um, and you got to ask yourself, what kinds of corners are they cut cutting? I guarantee you for those, you're not getting you know, there's no repository. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
and there's no there's no telling what kind of stitched together nonsense is in the back end of those right versus doing it right and, and lending itself to that i can even say you know and this is just a big caveat this is probably nine ten years ago um when amber was still a solo freelancer and i was helping her out and she was charging um a tiny fraction of what we charge now for a website with no team i remember i helped her build one website that as i will say is still live today one of our longest running customers but i built it i am not giving the url don't ask me um and don't <laughs> at me on twitter because i don't even want it to see the light of day for anyone who actually knows who i am but uh because it's ugly now it looked okay then <laughs> um, but it, um, it was for a, uh, company that works with like chemicals and oil fields in the Northern U S. And I remember I, I went and found a theme and then Amber taught me how to, you know, look at the, look at the front end of the theme and go into the inspector and look at the code and figure out what variables I need to change and play around with it and then go into the customizer and make those same changes to the various files where they were to customize the, you know, the fonts, the colors or whatever else. Wait, um, in the not in the customizer though. Maybe not. And I don't I know. Think, but that, that, that it's been it years. It must have a child theme. It must, it totally has a child theme. Maybe uh, it wasn't a child theme. But anyway, I remember I was editing code in WordPress. I distinctly remember doing that. Yeah, in the theme um, editor. In the yeah, theme yeah. editor. In, in, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the theme editor. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was it was definitely an adventure, and it's the it's the while I've had my hands in plenty of websites, that's the only site where I've touched code. Yeah, um, <laughs> and it's still up, and we haven't had to do much to it. So I, I know it can be done, and and like can be done to save resources and save money, but. It, it's definitely not best practice. And that leads me to something I wanted to bring up. What does all this have to do with accessibility? Yeah, like, you want to know why we're where talking does, about cowboy coding? Where does cowboy coding and accessibility problem? intersect? Like, why, where, is, where is that? So part of why I thought it would be good to talk about this, and, and of course you both should weigh in, is I think there's this interesting line like with anything, right, where we're talking about speed and if we're talking about making accessibility remediation, uh, especially of existing sites, because I think that's where potentially there could be arguments for, you know, using a code snippet plugin, which I consider, I mean, hopefully you do it on staging first, not on your live site, but using a code snippet plugin to add that first coding your own plugin, if you need to patch a different plugin, or, um, or if you don't have full access to the theme or it's not using a child theme and for some reason you don't want to make one, I don't know, maybe that's a bad idea and I never do. Like maybe there is a place with some of these accessibility fixes where you can make things faster and make a website more accessible faster if you bypass some of those best practices. Uh, but I also think on the flip side, why it's important to talk about cowboy coding is because like Steve was talking in the beginning, it's about like often bypassing processes or best practices. And I think a lot of times when people cowboy code stuff, it doesn't get full testing. Yeah. And, and it's possible that cowboy coding causes more accessibility problems and, and things that are cowboy coded are more likely to be inaccessible than things that are not. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have some of this. I think I would have some of the same 
feelings about that as I would just any kind of code change when it comes, you know, like just consistency and uh, technical debt and, you know, no, no testing of the code, right? And I, this goes a step further too. And if you're making an accessibility fix, right, you should be testing that and validating that accessibility fix. Um, I have concerns, you know, the technical debt, like what happens when, when you, you go in and make these changes, right? And then like an actual agency is brought in to audit, right? And then they're looking at the code base. I, I'm not, I don't, and that could be outside of the database. You know what I mean? I could be evaluating somebody's, like we could, we could have a client that comes in and they have a code base, right? They have a custom theme or something. I could be evaluating that just from a coding stand standpoint, right? I could be looking line by line and reviewing the code. And if there's stuff in the database, which is what a lot of cowboy coding would be, would be a something in the database, right? That's being injected in the page after the fact. Um, I and, and I'm not aware of that. Like that could cause a disconnect because there's not consistency in the dev process. Um, but I mean, I get what you're saying. Like if you're dealing with a, you know, it's a page builder or it's a plugin that, like you said, you don't have access, you don't want to edit the plugin, right? Um, what we've done a lot is in our custom theme, if there's patches or stuff we have to do with a with a, a theme, we're actually write those patches inside of our, our theme. And, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, uh, I just, it's, it can be done. And I think if you properly test, it can be achieved and like you can make fix accessibility fixes that way. I would still, I would still say that's not a good way to do it for the long term. And mm -hmm. I still think you have to evaluate like, what is your website, right? Is it like, you know, like we've got personal websites, right? That we kind of like, or like whatever, right? Like we still want it to be accessible, but it's like, we kind of just throw our personal web, you know, we're like a plumber with, Leaking. I beta test accessibility yeah. checker on my lab website. Yeah, so do I. So and do I'm I. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's like a random thing, and I'm like, well, whatever. I don't really yeah, care. Yeah. My blog goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I'm like, a, I'm like, we're like plumbers with leaky pipes, right? Like, it's like <laughs> we have our own websites. We want them to be accessible, but sometimes, like, we're so busy with work, it's like, okay, make, you know, do the quick fix, right? Yeah. But that website's not like mission critical. So yeah. I think. I, and I even for, I mean, it. so for everyone listening, right? Like our starting price is like 30,000 plus for websites. But even when we were doing much smaller websites, and it's been a long time since I've done like a under 5,000. But even when we were doing those like very small business websites, I do think like having the repository and all of that, it is worth the time investment as a developer. And I think the ways you can speed it up, like you can, you can set up Git integrations with some of the hosts, not all of them, where mm -hmm. when you push to a certain branch, it will go to production or it will go to staging. And so you can still test it locally and you can run, I know you just set some of this up and maybe you could talk a little bit about this for us, like in our starter theme where you've changed it, where it's doing a lot of linting and like checking for coding standards and stuff on pull requests. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of a growing team, trying to have more consistency, trying to reduce the amount of code review time on my shoulders, right? Um, and and utilizing automation where where it's best used, right? And and 
in the coding process, you know, that's linting, right? We do, we can do uh, PHP coding standard checks. We can do linting checks uh, uh, with uh, the PHP and with ESLint on the JavaScript. We, we run a, uh, security checks on the PHP, right? And then, like you said, we can run deploy scripts. And, and um, <clears throat> so in our Git repository, if it goes to goes in there and it runs those checks, if they all pass, then it can be merged into, say, production or into staging. And then the deployment script can automatically deploy it then. Um, and what that does is that automates, uh, that automates the checking process and that sets a baseline standard for all development going into the plugin. Now, it can't validate if the logic of the class or function being created actually works, right? Now, that's where unit testing comes in. And uh, on the plugin side, we you know we're, we're doing a lot of that now, writing unit tests for all of our stuff to ensure that it, it works properly. But um, but that being said, like uh, depending on your your workflow setup, like how well how hard you lock down your branches and deployments and stuff, like even then, I I, I I'll see that I've seen developers kind of like you know overlook <laughs> overlook those rules and. Uh, you know, like the, I put a meme in here that I'll read it. It says the, the, the first rule of cowboy coder is if the test fails, remove the test. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so it's like, so I've seen that. So we, we've actually gone a step further. So our linting tests can all run locally in your environment. And this gets really, this is going down the more advanced route of development, but uh, all of our linting, we can run them. Uh, with the npm uh, npm run commands, and uh, we actually went further, and we in, we installed a package called Husky, which actually on commit it runs those checks, and you can't even commit to the repository if linting and and coding standard checks don't pass. Even so, that's like a local. You'll that's have to local. link to that, so we can put a link in the show yeah, notes totally. for people. And yes. the the thing that I think is interesting about this, like going back to the whole like freelancer, is just because you're an independent person and you're not part of a big dev team, I don't think that means you can't, like you could do the same thing yeah. to check, mm -hmm. right? Like check your own work. And I don't, and if it's automated like that, it's not, it's not adding a huge amount of time, right? No, no it adds no. time if you have errors. <laughs> well, well, the linting, actually the linting uh, on PHP and JavaScript, we have a, we have a command that we can run for linting to just check and it outputs all your errors and warnings. And there's a fix command as well, where it'll go through and fix everything it can fix, right? Which are, you know, like tabs and spaces and, and all that. So like you save a lot of time in formatting in that regard. Now there is a, there is the setup time in this, like an Amber said, like if you have, you can get GitHub for free, you can run these actions for on free public repositories for free, um, but there is there is the t time investment to get this set up right for your workflow. But I think, from our standpoint, with a growing development team, I think that that is 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 a good use of time because it sets a standard. It's going to make all of our projects so much better. It ensures that the the code is secure that we're creating for our clients. And and I mean, I think it's just a really good thing to do. It's much more down the advanced route. And it's it's anti cowboy coding completely, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's the way to go. I think yeah. well, I think the thing about it too, 
you know, thinking about like the long term and the quality that you want to deliver and, and, you know, testing is so important, even if you're a, a solo person, or if you're on a team, if you're on a team, having someone else look at it too, like, we have a dev on our team who I think is fabulous. He does really great work. And he was reworking a mobile nav for a client. And I went and tested it. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but the skip link was empty. Like the skip to content text was just removed from the link in what he was doing. And I, I'm sure it wasn't intentional. I'm sure he didn't go, right? Like, But sometimes stuff like that just happens. And so having thorough tests is really important. And that's something that's not obvious, right? Like the client mm-hmm. tested it on staging and they're like, yeah, deploy. They're like, go. And I was like, hold on, wait, let me test. And then I tested it. Yeah, I was like, yeah. uh, no, hold on. <laughs> this needs well, to be yeah. get, I, I think it's live, right? I think it's staged. Like, and like, I mean, yeah, this all slows the process down, right? We have these automated tests, right? These linting tests, right? Uh, that can run. And it, you can do a lot of this on your local too. So there's even like another layer on top of that. And then you've got the stuff that you can run and, and get help. Then you have code reviews, right? Where somebody reviews the code. But a code review doesn't necessarily find if things don't work, right? A code mm-hmm. review is basically like, is this code written correctly, right? Could the could it be more readable, right? Is Does it have all the right you know, block comments and whatnot, right? And then there's mm-hmm. like this other layer like Amber just described, which is a functionality test, right? And she's she's like, okay, well, just because there's not necessarily a code error, there is an error because when I functionally check it, it's missing, you know, something's conflicting with the skip link. It's pulling, I don't know, some JavaScript or something. It's pulling that title out of there. Who knows, right? Um, so there's a functionality test. And, 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 and- I will say- Accessibility checker caught that because it flagged it as an empty link on the oh, top of right. the page. So, like, <laughs> that's another thing. Like, even if you're just using a free version of our accessibility checker plugin, if you're like pushing something to the header, like, that's something that, you know, we've talked about with our devs. It's like, go write a scan on the home page. Yeah. And it will tell you. And, and actually, there also happened to have been in that change inserted an unlabeled field. And both mm. of those got caught by accessibility checker. Right. So then I was like, well, this is weird. So then I went and tested it manually and I saw it and screenshotted it. Right. Yeah. But like having like an accessibility test testing tool and manual accessibility testing as part of your process, just like you would for mobile. Like I don't think many of us release code without at least dragging the window more narrow. Yeah. Hopefully people do that. I still like occasionally run into non-mobile responsive <laughs> websites and I'm like, what year is this? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So, yep. but yeah, I, I don't know, but so circling back a little bit, I think maybe it, it is possible to cowboy code and not introduce accessibility problems if you are really diligent in your testing, but I think you're probably more likely to introduce accessibility problems because typically when I think of cowboy coding, it's we're trying to move fast yeah, yeah. and so we're not mm-hmm. being as thorough. Yeah, and whatever you know, there's the old the old saying, right? It's like whatever you don't measure, you're going to overlook or underestimate. Yeah. If you're not if you're not measuring your effectiveness, whether it's code or you know testing things to make sure they work after you uh, put them on a staging site, like there 
if you're not doing those things, stuff is going to get through yeah. um, that you wouldn't intend otherwise. Uh, I don't know, unless it's just like, I like for me, like kind of where I draw the line is if it is such a simple change that it is virtually impossible to screw it up. Like, I don't know, changing one color to another color um, or something, right? As an example. But I don't know. I'm not a coder. So maybe it's even possible <laughs> to screw that up. I mean, you can screw up color contrast, uh, I guess, if you choose the yeah. wrong color. But um, Or if you forget <laughs> and you don't adjust, like, the hover color or something and you don't hover your mouse over it. And, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, I've seen instances like that. Well, I mean, like it was fine until it got put on a dark yeah. block and then they only fixed the like it got put on dark background and they fixed the color of the like normal state. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. And, but they forgot to fix the hover or they fixed the hover and the normal, but they didn't tab to it. So they forgot to fix the focus and the focus doesn't contrast with the. the... Yeah, I mean, like those are like CSS and like CSS is less like you're you're less likely to get caught right like what you get you know take a you're not gonna down. take a website down right? yeah but if you're dealing with server-side languages right like like php you're just one semicolon away from a disaster right like <laughs> you know or you're just one missing i want that on a t-shirt <laughs> yeah <laughs> cowboy code one semicolon away from disaster yeah <laughs> living on the edge <laughs> well hey so i found a meme that is a fabulous picture of Chuck Norris. <laughs> it yeah. says, Chuck Norris doesn't use web standards. The web conforms to him. <laughs> so unless you're Chuck Norris. <laughs> so unless you're Chuck Norris, you probably need to use web standards and you need to pay attention to your semicolons yeah, and yeah. your web content accessibility guidelines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So to close this out here, because I know we're getting close to time, I wanted to... I think it would be good to wrap up with, you know, if we have people listening who are uh, maybe a little more uh, cowboyish in their uh, disposition, <laughs> they like to be on the open range, um, riding their horse. I think like, and they're looking at this other side, right? We have the, the idea of all this measurement, all this linting, all this stuff. What advice do you two have for them to kind of start to move in the direction of taking more measurement, um, being more diligent about testing what they do before it sees the light of day with the end user. Can I start with the easy stuff and then I'll let you give a more okay, developed answer? <laughs> so I think that the, the easy way is if you don't normally use staging sites, you should just start using staging sites. Like if you're someone who likes to edit on the server, you could do that, but maybe don't do it in a production environment, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, so that's probably like the number one step, depending on where you are in this. And then Steve, you probably have a, a more concrete answer on, you know, how to get out of the not having any automated tests or like if there's a good place to start sure. from a dev perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about leveling up, right? Like, you know, we all started from... You know, like we all got into WordPress for a reason, right? Like um, if we really wanted to be super nerdy, linting, uh, code checking, you know, we probably would have went and became proper software engineers, right? Like, <laughs> oh, what are you uh, thinking about yourself? 
But, also, uh, on that note, you still have to talk to tell at least one horror story about cowboy coding because it can't. Oh my I'm the only person who has taken down a website. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, okay. So I'll finish that thought, but let's jump up to that. So, like horror stories of I don't know about horror stories that I personally, like I said, I've taken websites down numerous times. I can't, I can't think of how many times I've taken a website down. I've taken them down a lot, but I can get them back up real quick. Right. <laughs> and uh, before anybody knows it happens. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and I mean, typically that's not production, right? Like I've taken a production website down. Let's be honest. Who has it? Right. But uh, uh, it's typically not production. And when it's not production, I'm a little less worried about it. Right. But, um, you know, I think as, as running a development team, like it, it, it gets real hard. Like we'd still see it today, you know, like, we saw we you know we were we were working on a navigation change right and somebody was checking changes on production and then we go to production <laughs> and then nav's like totally messed up and doesn't work and the developer had no idea right it's like and then so you write that awkward thing like what are you working on production <laughs> yeah like what are you doing and why <laughs> and um, this by the way was a high traffic website i i will say that the probably the worst that I have ever seen is, uh, and this gets a little more advanced, but like just being very mindful of your API connections. Uh, we mm. have, we, we had a contractor working on, uh, some feature on a website and was working on a staging server. So we're doing, we're trying not to cowboy code, right? We're working on a staging server, but, uh, all the API connections were not set in test mode. And, uh, and, and now we're going with this. It was horrible. Developer, developer says, well, this is a testing environment. I don't want all these real users in this testing I'm environment. I'm going to delete all the users. I'm going to delete all the users, right? And we have a member uh, membership with Strict Content Pro or something installed on the site. And if you delete a user, Restrict Content Pro uh, cancels a membership, which cancels a subscription in Stripe. And if you don't have Stripe in test mode... If you don't have Stripe in test mode, yeah. you cancel hundreds of customers' subscriptions. On oh, it might have been website. thousands. It might have been thousands. The trauma, the trauma is real. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I even remember, even though I didn't really experience the trauma directly, I just know that I didn't see Amber for about four days. Yeah. And and Steve, I, I think it was probably about the same for your wife, Jennifer. Um, yeah, yeah. He probably didn't see you for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And no, thankfully, I, I, the, the contractor stepped up and, and fixed the issue too without charging us additional funds to do it. So, um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that was that yeah. was the worst. That was yeah. the worst. Yeah, that was definitely, I think, the worst mistake that anyone from our company has ever made. Yeah. And it was an accident. And it was, yeah. And, it and the like, client, oh, man, was... we're real real careful about putting everything into sandbox mode even for what we think is a tiny change it does not matter it's always in sandbox mode now <laughs> and, and and the client was not happy in the least and we had to take that beating even though it wasn't my fault or it wasn't amber's fault it was somebody we had contracted to's fault right but we had the front the we had to take the beating right we because had to be on the zoom calls we had to be on the end yeah. of the angry base cam message <laughs> Yeah, we had to yeah. take it. And now yeah. the contractor... They ended up okay. 
the contractor did come through and write a script to where we didn't have to manually recreate all these subscriptions. So he, he did his part and it was an honest mistake, right? Like, but like, that's why having these processes and we have it documented about how to set up a staging environment, right? Like, you know, you set up the staging environment, you disable emails, you put all APIs in test mode or disable them all together. Um, you, you pass or protect the, uh, the site, um, so I think having processes helps mitigate that because that was a nightmare. It was bad. And it mm -hmm. it potentially could have ended really bad. Like, um, yeah, if like, we had lost that, I mean, that client had thousands of members that some of whom paid close to a thousand dollars a year. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, so think about all that money if we had not been able to get those recurrent subscriptions recreated. I mean, there could have been litigation if there was yeah. lost, you know, if they could prove lost, lost revenue, but, uh, so, yeah, so circling back, like, is documentation, like, deciding on a process and documentation, documenting it, is that the first step for somebody who's trying to? Yeah, yeah I think somebody on the team has to own it, right? Somebody has to, somebody has to start owning that process. Your process doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be defined, and it needs to be something that's iterated on over time. I will say, if, if, if you, if you operating with the mentality that you can just go into a, a customer's website and fix something in five minutes, then there's probably a lot of area for you to level up your game as a developer and as an agency to, to, to serve higher end, more higher end clients and, and get the money that is needed to properly, you know, version control and, and have good processes around what you do. Um, the more work you take on, like the more important that becomes, um, but yeah, because that's something we didn't even touch on. You like you, once you have like 50, 60, 70, a hundred customers, oh, yeah. you can't even keep it straight anymore. Right. Like what you did last week, let alone last year, you know, yeah, so you um, want the version control history. So, you know, who did it, when they did it. And ideally you're writing comments yeah. on your code. Right. So you're like maybe explaining why something is the way yeah, it I is. can't remember. I can't remember what I did six months ago, let alone three years ago, you know, like, and I'll go through and read my own commits and that goes back to standards too. And fortunately in WordPress, a lot of the work around standards is done. Now, whether or not you agree with those standards, like everybody has the, like, you know, their, their PHP linting, like, or the word, uh, WordPress coding standards, some people have opinions, right? You know, can I use a short array tag or do I have to use the long array tag, right? Like, uh, everybody has their opinion, but WordPress has already done a lot of work around the standards. There's, there's standards that you can implement in your code now for checks, right? Like, and even we didn't touch on it too much there, but like there's linting for accessibility as well. You know, mm -hmm. you got Axe Linter and there's like a, what is it, Sally or Pally? I don't remember what it's called. Um, there's Lightbox. And these are all APIs that you could run on your code too. Now, it won't, doesn't work super great for the server-side stuff like PHP, right? Because it requires a server. But if you're doing J, JSX, uh, you know, making React stuff, like it can check. Or if you're just writing straight uh, HTML, you could run Axe Linters. Um, so there's there's just a lot that you can do to 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 level up your game and and start defining that process. Start with WordPress's coding standards. You can modify those to your own needs, right? Like, but they're already there. And, I think uh, there's an argument though. Like, I know some people don't love them, but 
I think that we have found as we've rolled out WordPress coding standards to more of our plugin, like I think you were working on a plugin that I wrote back yeah, in your yeah. roadware creative like years ago. So it's probably really bad, right? You were like rolling it out coding standards to that. Like the argument I think for doing it, even if you're like, oh, like I don't like this one rule or whatever, is that the more consistency there is in a WordPress website, the better performing that website is going to be overall. And then also, if you're thinking long-term on your business, I mean, why do you have your business, whether you're an agency that builds websites for clients or you're a plugin developer who's coding plugins that you're either giving away or selling? Selling, What what is the end game? And I think meeting WordPress coding standards on everything you do, if you're thinking that there might be any possibility of wanting to sell, Mm -hmm. like... That I think it's going to make your products or your client portfolio or whatever it is that you're selling look more appealing to a buyer if they can just like go put in the WordPress linter, right? And see, oh, it all fits and there's no yeah, coding yeah. standard problems. Well, and two, like if you want to operate and in, in you're building stuff in a WordPress environment, right? Doing it the WordPress way is probably the way to do it. We can argue whether or not that's the right way, right? But um uh, Two, you're going you're going to run up against you're going to get that big client and they're going to be like we're hosting on WordPress VIP and WordPress VIP is going to be like well your theme doesn't follow our coding standards or your plugin doesn't follow our coding standards right but if you if you start implementing that now that won't be a problem or if you want to work with automatic in some way right and they review your code and they're like oh they do things the way we do it i like this this works right it's like at some point if you're making a product or you're making a theme you start leveling up uh, the hygiene of your product becomes very important. What does it look like, right? Now, this is going very far down in the opposite direction of cowboy coding, but uh, mm-hmm. it's not like you have to swallow it, the whole pill, right? You can just start with the stuff, uh, start with baby steps and just start leveling up your development process, having processes. Like Amber said, make a staging site. It's so easy nowadays to make a, a staging site. It used to be a nightmare, right? Like, you'd have to import the database and, you know, update all the tables and all this stuff. But like now it's most web hosts have one, one click staging and uh, it's super easy to set up a GitHub repository and it's pretty easy to set up deployments and stuff. So. I think if you go to learn.wordpress.org, yeah. there's, there's some tutorials on like Git and and that kind of stuff. Um, or if not there, you might check WordPress.tv. If you're someone who's never used Git and you're not sure, I'm sure there's got to be tutorials on how to use Git and how to put it into your workflow as a developer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so we ended up saying, don't, don't be do a cowboy coder. <laughs> don't be a cowboy. So for a long time, there was a rule at our company I, that I was the only one who was allowed to cowboy code, but now <laughs> I don't even cowboy code anymore. And I am also not allowed to cowboy code. So don't do yeah. it, but you can enjoy your cowboy beer yeah. and be a cowboy. And following the cowboy, it. following the cowboy metaphor, just, just slowly leave the range, you know, put your horse in the stable, maybe, maybe take the horse out on uh, personal projects that don't matter a whole bunch. If you, if you need to get your thrills in, yeah. but um, yeah, cowboy coding probably needs to go away for anything that matters. Yeah, probably. Yep. So Sorry to sorry to burst the cowboy coding bubble, but there's a better way. <laughs> uh, yeehaw. yeehaw! All right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for being here. All right. Yeah. See you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to Accessibility Craft. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in your podcast app to get notified when future episodes release. You can find Accessibility Craft on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And if building accessibility awareness is important to you, please consider rating Accessibility Craft five stars on Apple Podcasts. Accessibility Craft is produced by Equalize Digital and hosted by Amber Hines, Chris Hines, and Steve Jones. Steve Jones composed our theme music. Learn how we help make thousands of WordPress websites more accessible at equalizedigital.com.